0: This morning, uh, we get to invite Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, um, up to uh, to teach us on Luke 19. So if you could stand with me, um, we can read uh, Luke 19, verses 1 to 10 together. And it goes like this. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry hurry, and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. We pray for Jimmy this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would empower him by your spirit um, to speak to us, that we might hear your words. Name of Jesus, we pray, Amen. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. Um, I'm Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, new. For those of you who don't know me, and uh, we're we're going to be concluding the the sermon series on faith and finances today. And in this last last message, we're talking about grace and generosity, and. More specifically, how grace leads to giving and how that happens in your life and how to notice it. Um, and so I want to start this way. I'm a big context person. So when I meet people, I tend to ask a lot of questions, personal questions maybe, and I always get blank stares like, why are you interrogating me? It's not because I'm trying to be nosy. It's because context helps me to understand who I'm talking to and where I am. And in this context, uh, we're in a city called Jericho. And Jericho is, in this time, a very wealthy city. It's a city with two uh, major classes of people. The first is the Levitical or the priestly class, and the other is tax collectors, right? Uh, And the reason why was because it was wealthy, because there was a lot of import-export. There was a lot of business. It 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 was a trading hub. There were farmers, all kinds. It a very, very complex city. It was close to Jerusalem. Uh, there was a road from, from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem, and that's where the story of the Good Samaritan, you know that story where the man was on this treacherous road and he gets beat up, and who passes by him? Interestingly enough, on this road to Jerusalem or back to Jericho, he's, he's uh, passed by a priest and a Levite, Right? And so that tells you, like, there are a lot of priests and Levites in this city, Jericho. So Jesus is passing through here. um, And a lot of tax collectors there because these guys saw opportunity. Uh, Tax collectors are very interesting people. They're very hated in the Bible, right? Um, They're seen as, like, scum. They're, like, the worst. They're up there with murderers and everything else. And here's why. Uh, Roman, Roman knights, men of high rank, in Rome, from Rome, started these joint um, joint companies, these, these ventures. And they would set up and hire people from the local towns that they were in charge of, tax collectors like them, to gather money at any means possible. So taxes for Caesar, yes, but also I want to make some money. So you're going to, yeah, and I have a list of things that they would do. They would have import-export fees, harbor dues, bridge tolls, Road tolls, protection on the road, extortion money, town dues, taxes for the cost of collection. This this, uh, production costs money, so you're going to pay for it. Um, Taxes for the empire, falsely accusing people of smuggling things and then confiscating their goods and spreading them around their team. And if you were caught in the path, they would open your letters, they would make you Empty out your entire caravan. They would search your entire caravan. Take what they wanted sometimes. Blackmail you. And judges even were direct beneficiaries of tax collector activity. So try to appeal against these guys. You're not getting anywhere. You're just going to get on somebody's radar. So imagine how you felt. You're a business owner and you're, you're getting squeezed you're squeezed and, and you can barely make a living. And then you have these guys. And Zacchaeus, out of all of them, he was the chief. He was the leader. He was like Chris no, I'm just kidding. Not, not. But he's like that status, right? Like everybody knows who this guy is, right? He's very wealthy, very powerful, very hated, and he's isolated from anything spiritual. Imagine every church you went to, you were not welcome. Right? You just feel it. And they would let you know. So he's isolated. But he shows up in this story. And we learn a lot from him. And I'm only going to highlight a few things. But from Zacchaeus we learn how grace leads us to giving. And the first thing that it does is it reveals our hearts. And it reveals the heart of God. How does it reveal our hearts? In in Luke chapter 19... uh, Um, Jeremiah read it beautifully. Uh, In in 19, verse 3 to 5, it says, "Um, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he went up, he looked up, and Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately and must stay at your house today. In verse 7, "All, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. A little more context. Just one more bit of context for those of you who are like, all right, I'm done. I want to just get to it. Uh, Literarily, remember this. Jesus just got in in chapter 18. We're in in chapter 19 now. In chapter 18, he just got done um, talking about this parable of two men, um, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they're praying. And i read that one really quickly. It says, um, he says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, and God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. And the reason why I read that passage is Jesus is highlighting from the very beginning, the previous chapter, two kinds of hearts. One is a heart that is incredibly self-confident, all right? And the other is a heart that's Christ-confident. Well, the tax collector doesn't have any confidence. He's broken. One more thing I want to highlight for you is the next passage after this. Just a few verses later, Jesus is setting the stage for Zacchaeus, okay? He's talking about a rich young ruler. You guys, many of you know that story. A rich young ruler comes through and he's like, Jesus, Tell me what I got to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to have eternal life. He's like, give me one more. I, I know there's a checkbox missing. I know I'm missing something. Give me one more thing I got to do. And Jesus sees through him. And he says, here's a man. He, I mean, I'm not, He going not say this, but what the text tells you is, here's a man who's incredibly self-confident. He's done everything right. He's wealthy. He's, he's religiously pure. And Jesus confronts him. And in in that passage, he says, in in, um, verse 22, starts, he says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him, and he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And this is astounding. and he's, he's doing it again. Jesus is doing it again. He's saying, you're so reliant on yourself and you want to live that life? All right, let's live that life. I know exactly what you're dealing with. I know exactly what, what thing that you can't do. You want to check off boxes. You won't be able to check off all of them. And so it, I just want to mention that this this isn't Jesus saying that this is a sinner and saint issue, right? Saints are bad, sinners are good. No, that's not not what he's saying. He's saying this is an attitude issue. It's a person who is completely self-reliant and trusts in themselves and what they have and what they can generate and their own righteousness. And another person who sees that they're lost without God. They're lost without help from outside. Um, what, why this is important, why Jesus first needs to reveal our hearts is that unless we know where we stand, unless we know who we are, or what kind of person we are, it'd be very difficult for us to come into his presence and to receive his grace. And so we get to Zacchaeus. He's a kind of a different guy. Uh, when I think about a guy like Zacchaeus, I used to do ministry with um, uh, ex convicts, people who went to prison, who've been in prison. And there was one guy. I'm not going to say names. He's a, he's a good friend. He um, he's an interesting guy. He he was um, son of a son of, son of a Russian immigrants. He's a big guy. He's like you know about Craig's height, right? Big uh, hulking guy, and He lived his life, most of his life, um, dealing drugs, uh, going in and out of prison. And he also confessed himself as a white supremacist. And he came to me. When he came to me and we, we, we met, he was so filled with light and love and he's like, Everywhere we went, everything we did when we went to the homeless shelter, when we, when, we, when we worked with kids, he was always the first one there. He was always the guy who was finding new places to serve people. And he was always the guy who would take it out of his own money, in his own pocket, money that he made, and just kept buying things for these kids. And then some people were like, you've got to stop doing that. But he, he, just his heart was overflowing with love, with people of all color. And he says, I can't believe I had that much hate in my heart. And how he came to Jesus this is funny. It's like He said, a, a gay Jewish man brought me to church. And I just remember one day I, I was filled with hate and the Holy Spirit hit me. And the next day, all I wanted to do was love people. And I said, here's a man who, who's so broken, so isolated from God, who knew nothing of who God was. And, and, and then overnight transformed Zacchaeus is coming to us interesting guy right um here's a guy who runs right he 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 sees a crowd he can't get through he runs and some of you guys know from the the story of the the prodigal son the lost sons that that running for men was undignified like i was waiting for bagels this morning and there's a dude in like what was like almost like daisy dukes running outside and we're okay with that like it was like all the way up here and, but back in the day, in those days, like you, bear, you bore your legs, and that was that was undignified. That was laughable. That was almost borderline insulting, right? Because you know, when you ran, you had to bring up your, your We didn't have you know. The Europeans gave us pants, right? But most of the cultures had like kind of like what's well, like a big dress, right? Like a robe, and that's what they did. And that men didn't do that. Kids did that. And climbing trees, I looked all over in the Bible. I was like, did anybody else climb a tree in the Bible? Nobody climbs trees in the Bible. There's only this guy. right? And here's why. You should always talk about the Bible with your spouse or your friends because you learn more when you have a conversation. I was talking to my wife. I was like, man, this is what Zacchaeus did. And she's like, yeah, you know, that must have been really unsightly. Like, he's in a tree, he's not wearing pants, (laughs) he's got his man bits. Right? Like, sorry, that's that was very I shouldn't say that. Um <laughs> But yeah, man, like that's wow, that's you gotta have a lot of guts to do that, or you've gotta be really desperate to do that. Just to see a man. You know, just imagine, like I just imagine like Chris Christie <laughs> standing up. I mean, just like I imagine that's why Jesus was like, hurry up and come down. Right? He says that he says hurry up immediately, come down. I'm going to stay at your place. Um, now I've got to heal all these people. They're all blind. Um, but that's what he does, right? He runs up a tree. And I think that when Jesus, you know, sometimes in my crazy imagination, I think of Jesus as like putting his arm around Zacchaeus and being like, you shouldn't have done that. But, I'm glad you did. And that reminds me of somebody. And the reason why that reminds me of that, that, that I'm saying this is because my wife's like, you know, I think about that David Crowder song, Undignified, you know? And that was based off of another story in the Old Testament with King David, right? And King David, and I, and I was like thinking about it, I was like, really, King David, interesting. And that, so I go and, and I go and research it and I study it. And I was like, there's so many parallels between what King David did and what Zacchaeus does. King David, um, he was obsessed with bringing the Ark of the Covenant of God back back to Jerusalem. And he was obsessed with it. And the reason why was because he wanted God's presence in his life. He says, God, it's not fair that you're out there and I'm in here. I want you to be here with me. And so he does everything he can, and then he's very careful, and he has like, you know, make sure you're holding only the poles. Make sure it's the right way. Make sure that you know, and they're bringing it from Obed Edom's house. It was just stored at some dude's house. And these people, these priests, are bringing the ark. And six steps into it, he makes an offering, he makes a sacrifice, and he starts dancing and celebrating. And he's, he's sacrificing along the way. And even at the end of it, what, what King David does is amazing. He says, Everybody in Israel, everybody's going to get free cakes and bread from me. I'm just going to give it all to you. It's all free. Give everybody bread, and he just gives so generous because he's so happy. He's so happy that God is coming to be with him, and he's dancing and singing. And then um, Mike, Michael, his, his wife, one of his wives, um, the Bible in Second Samuel chapter six says that she looked at him with <clears throat> with dis, she despised him. And then this is what uh, this is what she says in second Samuel chapter six, verse twenty, he says it says, When David returned home to bless his household, because he blessed everybody else, he said, I'm gonna bless my own household. Michal, Michal, daughter of Saul, came to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, in full view of the slave girls, of the servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And then David said back to her, I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. It's the heart of David. And I think, why? Why did Jesus care that this dude was dangling in a tree? I think part of him was thinking, it's like David, undignified. He doesn't care. He's just all about wanting to see me. I'm going to stay at your place. I'm going to bless you. My presence will be with you now. I will celebrate before the Lord. But then the crowd, this is the other heart. One heart is glad and the other heart is grumbling. Right? I mean, you would hate, you and I, we would hate Zacchaeus too. But to see him being blessed in this way, I wonder sometimes if we have, do we have hearts that grumble or do we have hearts that rejoice do we have hearts that are undignified or are we too dignified to come before god open and rejoicing do we really need him and do we really want him like that and so grace confronts us with this this thing this mirror that that asks us who are you in this passage and what about the heart of god The heart of God is this. It's very simple. Whatever he asks of you, you should know this, that before anything that he asks of you, the first thing that comes is grace. It's always been like that, that grace comes before transformation even. He doesn't doesn't bring you in and come to your house because you've given away all and you've done all these great things. He comes to your home first, regardless of whether you've you've done it or not. And that's important. That is the crux of the gospel. It's important to know that because I got it wrong for many years. I thought, I was living this terrible life. Now he saved me. And now what I got to do is I got to do all this stuff. I got to make it up. We have this 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 tendency, right, that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Actually, for the second point here. So let me just go there. Grace restores restful rejoicing. The first point is the longest. All right. Grace restores restful rejoicing. In verse 6, it says, in um, chapter nineteen, uh, verse six of Luke, it says, um, "So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly." That word "gladly" really means that he like rejoiced, like David. He was like clapping and so happy. It restores it, and it should restore it because this is our tendency. It's like the prodigal son, the lost son. The first thing that he does is what everybody does when we know we're wrong. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell him I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, I, you know, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm just going to work for you. Just treat me like a worker. And, and remember, the father doesn't even have it in, in that parable. He doesn't have it. He's like, no, you're my son. And that's the first thing. The first thing is not you go back into the field and make up everything that you, you owe me. The heart of God is the first thing is let's celebrate. The first thing is let's rest. When, let me ask you this question, Trivia. What day, on what day was Adam um, made? The sixth day, right? And was the next day the first day of the work week? No, it's the Sabbath. He says, I'm going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it with me. We're going to celebrate. Don't think about what you got to do, what you didn't do, what you got to do. Just be with me and let me be with you. And that's the heart of God. Grace means an invitation to that rest. Because if we do it the other way, you're really not operating out of joy or love or anything else except what turns out is it's just shame and guilt and you're just trying to work your way through. Work your way through it. You don't need Jesus. It's the it's, it's self-reliance cropping up again. And grace will always stop this line of thought. How do we become a community of sacrificial giving? It's to sink into that. Let that grace sink into your heart. Let it. Let not our immediate actions be how we can pay it off or how can we we become more self-reliant by the power of God, right? But how can we, by the power of God, have more joy and more gladness? And lastly, um, and this is the, the last and third point, grace revive, revives us to respond. Uh, in in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And And here I think, A lot of our tendency is, what if I become, what if I don't get to have what I want? Because if I'm giving and I'm being generous, if I'm being sacrificial, how do I, you know, we read a story like that, like Zacchaeus, and we're like, man, that's crazy. And I think that the question of what if I become undignified this is this is hard because like today what is undignified like there's not that many things undignified but i'll 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 phrase it this way I'll, I'll look uncool right i'll look very uncool because i can't wear you know those clothes or i can't go out with my friends to these restaurants or i can't pay for certain things these gadgets or i won't have that house and people will see me in a certain way i'll be undignified and if you have to ask that question, you've got to look at, again, Zacchaeus' life. What he saw in Jesus. He was a tax collector. He was, he was good at spotting opportunity. He was a value investor. Okay? He's good at spotting opportunity. And what he saw, he used that gift to see in Jesus something that was more valuable than anything he ever tried to acquire for himself. And he sold all he had to have him. That's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And that's the kingdom of heaven. And you might ask, what if I lose status? And this is something interesting. Like, I think about this a lot now, more than I ever did. Because I I think, I'm having a son in a few months. And I think, what am I going to give my son? What am I going to leave behind to this kid? And sometimes I think, you know, what I know know for sure is this. I don't want to leave him status or pomp or spirit, spirit of self-trust. Because I know it doesn't work. And I think that in the end, even further, on my tombstone, you guys ever think about this? What do you want on your tombstone? Sometimes I think about this. It's, not, it's, it's crazy, but... I, I wrote this down, it says, either, either it's like this, here lies so-and-so, man of great status and wealth, who kept it growing and kept it till the end. Or, here lies so-and-so, child of God, a lover of souls, a generous sinner, and faithful servant of Jesus Christ. I want the second, and I want my son to see me in that way. What are you going to give and what are you and I, what are we going to give to the people around us, to our families, to our friends, to the people we love? Is it just going to be this image of a golden man or a golden woman? Or is it going to be a person with a real heart? And I think the only way there is through the path of grace. And so why does God and Jesus favor those who are are willing to be undignified before him. There's there's favor there. Jesus does favor those who are willing to be undignified for his sake. Why reward running and climbing up a tree and dancing and acting a fool and being uncool? Dare I say this? I'm always afraid even writing it. But dare I say that God himself is undignified. He's undignified himself for us. Cuz when you come down from heaven, become a child born in a place where animals feed, and you 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 give yourself to the poorest family of that time. You live and work as a carpenter, hard labor, and and then you die like a criminal. That's the most humiliating thing, not just for, for heaven, but even for us. And so I think that sometimes and many times when we act a fool for him and we do things that are out, outrageous because we love him, that like he did with Zacchaeus, you might put his arm around your neck and say, you remind me of somebody. Oh yeah, you remind me of me. my prayer for this community, our community is that we do become a church that has this characteristic of God. That as a response to his love, that we're able to celebrate and be super generous and sacrificial and become people who are undignified doing it. For Jersey City, for Jersey City, for our community, for the needy around us, and for the world. So if you will, may I close this out in prayer? And would you please stand with me? I'd like to invite you to stand. and <clears throat> just want to ask this question. Maybe you can ask yourself. Um, are you Christ confident? Or are you definitely self-confident? Do you... Being Christ confident means I accepted that grace fully in my heart being self-confident means I can still make it on my own. And you have to ask, ask that question because I think this is the place where we were able to surrender that. So as we pray, I'd like you, those of you who, who would like to surrender this self-confidence, self-reliance, and, and to hold on to the clutches, clutch, clutch to Christ. Um, I'd like you to, to invite you to raise your hands up, just like this, and in posture of that surrendering, and, and just surrender all of yourself, all of that that confidence, and then receive, receive that grace. When Jesus says to you, salvation has come to your house. For you are my child. You don't have to be anything or do anything to merit that. You just have to believe in me. Would you accept that today? Into your hands and into your heart. Father, I pray for this church may you give us the heart that Zacchaeus had that King David had that you have of just passionate love and and an infatuation with your grace and your gift on us and out of that I pray and only out of that Father I pray that you'd make us sacrificial generous with everything that we have—time, or talent, or finances, our hearts—and to even forgive who, those who have wronged us. So, Lord, we give those things to you, and we receive you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.